Technology is advancing at pace across the energy sector. As we progress towards net zero, we want you to stay ahead of the conversation. Welcome to the Net Zero Technology Centre's podcast series, Transition Talks, where we'll be joined by industry experts at the forefront of the energy transition as we examine the challenge and explore the solutions. So Martin, you run the Energy Systems Integration Programme here at the Net Zero Technology Centre. So it's a bit of a mouthful, big title. What's it all about? Can you tell us more about that programme, please, and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, well, it's called Energy System Integration. There's there's three elements to that. I call them the three growth industries. So there's offshore renewables, there's hydrogen, and there's carbon capture and storage, and also utilisation in that, that last bucket. Okay, cool. What are you spending most of your time on? I'd say probably about 40% of my time is spent on hydrogen projects, 40% on wind, and 20% on carbon capture. That's where the industry interest is, and that's where the opportunity is as well, if you look at the potential scale of these markets in 2015. Okay. And before you came to the Net Zero Technology Centre, what were you doing? What was your background? I've got a background in both oil and gas and renewables. So uh, most of my oil and gas experience was with Wood Group. And back in 2005, I was working for Wood on probably the biggest brownfield project in Aberdeen, Magnus Extension Project, new conductor slots down the outside of the Chacket, biggest Chacket in the North Sea. And then I saw an advert for a post in the Outer Hebrides. So I spent two years over there. Back in 2006, I built Scotland's second green hydrogen production plant. So that was a kilowatt scale machine. But that was, um, what now, 16 years ago. Wow. So what would you... So looking back on that, I mean, that's a really interesting experience. What's the key learning that you got from that whole project? The key learning was that the technology works. I mean, it worked 16 years ago. It worked four decades ago in, in the, the first oil price shock when people were looking at electrolysis. But it was just too expensive. The scale was way too low. So the, the key learning for me is that we need to innovate in the technology to make it make it scalable, to make it work at gigawatt scale. I mean, we just were producing about 12 kilowatts of, of hydrogen from a small wind turbine. And what was the hydrogen being used for? It was used for a couple of things. We actually built a, a hydrogen lab at the local college and part of the University of the Highlands and Islands. So we could um, teach people how to to use hydrogen, how it was um, the, the, the sort of theory of hydrogen. But we also used it to fuel post vans. So the post office gave us a couple of transit vans, converted the engines to run in hydrogen, and we, we ran them over the islands in was a trial. Was that process fairly easy for the council to do? It was at the time. We secured funding from the Scottish government and from, from the European Union, so it was competitively bid. Um, so we, it was, I mean, hydrogen's been of interest to government since, since the first oil shock, as I mentioned. Yeah. And are they still using the hydrogen in the vans and all the rest of it? They're not. No, that, that project sort of... But that project has evolved and they, they do have a, a sort of follow-on um, project. But if you look at the scheme, I mean, the, the demonstration project landscape in Scotland is, is enormous. You've got projects in Orkney and Fife and Glasgow. In Aberdeen. In Aberdeen. You've got the biggest fleet of buses in, in Europe in Aberdeen. Right. So what are they doing else, elsewhere? I mean, obviously, I, I read that uh, SSE have built a hydrogen production facility just south of Glasgow. So what are they going to be using the hydrogen for? Again, they're looking to produce probably 10 megawatts of hydrogen, use it mostly for, um, as far as I understand, for local authority vehicles. And they'll probably have a couple of fuel cells in there. I don't know the detail. And our focus is more on the large scale production of hydrogen. So 
looking at the the potential for gigawatt scale production plants around Scotland. So you're really interested in industrial quantities of the stuff? Absolutely. That's where we're quite lucky in the UK to have the Climate Change Committee. And I mean, hydrogen's part of the solution. Electrification is the first thing. You electrify everything that makes sense to electrify. So we need to double the amount of electricity we consume as a country by 2050. Look at Europe as a continent. They need to do the same. They've got a similar plan. But they need to import huge quantities of green hydrogen as well to to decarbonise. Yep, and it's definitely green, is it? Because that's what I've read. I've read green all through the strategy documents that the EU are producing. So would yeah, you take blue? I think they would in the short term because, um, especially in the current political situation, we're over in Hamburg and the Scottish Development International Trade Mission, and they're certainly open to blue hydrogen in the short term, as long as it's a bridge to green in the longer term. But realistically, green hydrogen is, is what they want. So you might as well start looking at green in terms of production. Looking at that long term, even looking at the UK's reserves of gas, we don't have enough to to fulfil our own needs. We've been gas deficient for for over a decade now. Um, We still produce significant quantities, but just not enough to to cover our own demand. So so there's a life cycle in terms of, um, I guess, production, transportation, storage, distribution, those different points. There must be different types of technologies that need to be considered do we have everything that we need in the in the in the technology mix, or are we still trying to develop, um, say, I don't know, storage technologies? Yeah, there's huge scope for innovation. I mean, we, we do have the technologies there. They, it does work. We just don't have them at the scale and at the price point that we need. So there's always a lot of focus on production. But I think you quite rightly highlighted there's a whole value chain there, and um, there's a lot of niches that we can play in, particularly in storage. If you're looking at interseasonal quantities of storage, that's where our subsurface assets, our reservoirs, um, our salt caverns can have a key role to play. Yeah. So, and I know we're not going to delve into the physics behind hydrogen as a fuel source, but I just I would like to get your opinion as to why we should be doing this, because there, there is a lot of um, scepticism on, on the internet, particularly. There's lots of vocal people talking about how hydrogen doesn't make sense from a cost-energy perspective. What's your perspective on that? I tend to follow the Climate Change Committee's guidance and think in all the scenarios, hydrogen has a role to play. It varies. I mean, in some scenarios, they've got electricity playing a greater role than hydrogen. And certainly for, for certain sectors, like, like heating is always one that comes up. And I think heating using heat pumps and electricity is is probably the way to go. But for industrial processes like steel making and, and making cement for powering ships, electricity just won't cut it. So it's a balance and there will be demand, even if it's not from a pure science perspective, the most energy efficient way of, of um, decarbonising. It will be the quickest, it'll be the cheapest. Look at Germany, for example, they are predicting between 400 and 800 terawatt hours of demand for green hydrogen by 2050. As a market, that is probably between 20 and 40 billion pounds per year. Wow. So the European Union today currently imports over 1 trillion euros of oil and gas from outside the European Union. We're going to be much more energy secure and, and produce more of our own energy over the next three decades. So so that's really interesting because I'm just thinking in Scotland in particular, we have I think we've got one cement factory. Down in, in Dunbar. Yeah, in Fife, yeah. is it? So and we don't have too much in the way of steel making going on in the Scotland, but the rest of the UK we do have steel plants. So transportation and heating probably would be the domestic market. But for what you've just said, 
I'm guessing you think the big opportunity is much more on the export side. Absolutely. If you look at Scotland today, we export probably between five and ten times more hydrocarbons than we consume. We could do exactly the same for hydrogen in the future. And how are we going to get the hydrogen to Germany? That is the, um, the million euro question. Um, so in the short term, it will be by ship, either as ammonia, which is a, a derivative, of course, maybe as a liquid organic hydrogen carrier, or maybe as a sort of um, pressurised hydrogen. So I think there'll be a number of, of sort of short-term options. But in the long term, we've got to look at pipeline export for the quantities of hydrogen that Germany needs. Right. And, and I guess the type of um, pipelines that we have right now might not be suitable for that type of export you know, use for hydrogen. Some of them, yeah, well, some of them won't. Hydrogen's quite a aggressive um, gas to carry it, especially for more high-grade um, pipelines that can give you problems with sort of ductile failure. So I think in reality there will be some pipelines we can reuse. Um, the, in reality, we will have to build a huge number of new pipelines Again, it's just timing things. Well, a lot of the pipelines we may want to reuse will still be being used for hydrocarbon production or maybe even carbon storage. We need to repurpose pipelines for that um, end use as well. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking local now. I mean, we are sat here in Aberdeen and we obviously are quite close to where most of the offshore wind is going to be built, the offshore floating wind, although it will be built all around the Scottish coast. But I guess you could argue that we're quite a good gathering point, I suppose, for, for hydrogen that's produced from renewable energy um, like offshore wind. Is that is that the ambition, that we become this centre of hydrogen capture, storage, transportation to Europe? So that's a brand new industry really, isn't it? Absolutely. If you look at the resource, it's all around the coast of Scotland, but you're absolutely right. There's a huge um, proportion, especially the first Scotland licences, in close proximity to Aberdeen. So, and the other thing that we've got in our advantage is that connection to the national gas grid. So, from St. Fergus all the way, all the way south, um, we've got a, a gas infrastructure that we can repurpose for hydrogen transportation. So, yeah, it makes sense to, to look at large scale production in and around Aberdeen. Well, not in Aberdeen, obviously, it's the scale that we need, but St. Fergus is an obvious place to look. I think there'll be a number of other green or brownfield sites that will be developed. The City Council's partnership with BP is a great example of the, um, the level of ambition. So they've got three phases to that project. First phase is almost complete. The second phase is looking at expanding sort of production and demonstration projects. But then phase three is where they're looking at building exportable quantities of, of hydrogen. And when you say exportable quantities, you know, what is that? I mean, in terms of the amount of hydrogen we could potentially ship over to Europe? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I get in the early days, you're probably talking maybe between 100 to 150 megawatts of, of renewable production to hydrogen. And if you look at the German government, they've got this program called H2 Global, which is basically a contract for difference for hydrogen. It's going to be competitive. They're looking at five or six different regions of the world to compete for this. But they're looking at projects in that sort of scale, 100 to 150 megawatts. So that'll be sort of shipload quantities of hydrogen. But Looking at pipeline export, I mean, to, to make a pipeline economically viable, it needs to be operating at, at almost full capacity. So for the scale of pipelines of a 36 or 42 inch pipeline, you're probably talking between 8 and 10 gigawatts of hydrogen production. 
So I think we need to take a more strategic approach in Scotland. We need to look at planning our developments to enable that scale of hydrogen production and also geographically to, to spread it. So you've got great potential in the Northern Islands and Shetland and Flotta and the Outer Hebrides in the northeast, down in Edinburgh, down off the southwest coast of Scotland, maybe in, in Hunterston. So it is something that could have an impact nationally. Oh, right. So this contract for difference that Germany has um, set up, I guess, uh, you mentioned that it's a global programme, so they're looking for global sources of, of, of hydrogen. So which other countries are they are they talking to at the moment? Yeah, we had a visit from Dr. Stefan Kaufman this week. Um, Dr. Kaufman is Germany's hydrogen envoy. He's at an ex uh, member of the German parliament, the federal government. And he's touring the world at the moment. So he's he's been in Ireland. He was talking to Nadal a few months back. He was heading over to Iceland after he, he left Scotland. So I think those those two, Iceland, Ireland, you've got countries that have got a combination of wind and solar power, like Morocco and Chile and, and Australia. Um, you've got countries like the UAE and Saudi Arabia that have got great solar resource. So I think it's, it's definitely going to be a global competition. And, and that's something we need to always bear in mind is we need to get our price point down to compete globally. Like one thing we do have to in our advantage is that proximity to the chairman market and also the, the sort of stability of our political system that is um, something that will be part of the assessment process, I'm sure. Yeah. And when can you expect these industrial quantities to actually be produced and shipped to the likes of Germany? Germany's looking for the first quantities in the mid to late 2020, the first shipments and earlier if, if we could do it. Um, it's just getting the, the wind built, getting the electrolyzers built, getting the export infrastructure built. But realistically, it's going to be post-2030 before we see the true industrial quantities. And of course, it all depends on getting that um, commercial mechanism in place. The carbon tax are equivalent, but that's something that we need to get to get to net zero. So is the investment from private industry happening then? Because it sounds like it's a massive export opportunity. Obviously, the technical technological hurdles to get over, there's price points to get over. But are companies that you're talking to actually seriously looking at hydrogen as an investment opportunity for the future, given the size of the market in the EU? Absolutely. You just need to look at Scotland and look at the number of those licences that have got a hydrogen element. If you've got companies like Ripsal Sinopic and Total Energies investing in the Flotta project. Feasibility study stage at this point, of course, but at the moment, everyone's trying to grab that acreage. I mean, that's the key thing in, in any energy market is getting the the license to produce the energy, which you can then um, sell to market. So yeah, there's huge interest from all across the globe in Scottish sites and Norwegian sites and anywhere where you can produce cost-effective quantities. But these sites are primarily wind sites, aren't they? They are wind sites in the UK. Yeah. Are they are the developers looking at the wind opportunity with hydrogen as a part of the equation, or is that a separate issue for them? Something they might come to at a later stage. There's a variety of approaches. Some of the, the licences, you can see there's a clear wind element to them. Others have got a wind element and somebody else is doing the, the hydrogen production piece. And then you've got others still that, that are able to, to look at the whole picture. So it's it's a, yeah, there's a variety of strategies in play. And there must be some maths being done to kind of like figure out how much hydrogen we can potentially produce from the Scotland sites. Have you heard anything along the lines of what the potential figures are? Not specifically for the Scotland sites, but something that's at a parallel is the Scottish hydrogen assessments that was undertaken by ARIP, a 
year and a half ago now, fantastic document. They had three scenarios there, the most ambitious of which is the hydrogen export scenario. So in that scenario, we've got 32 gigawatts of offshore wind, 5 gigawatts of onshore wind, so 37 gigawatts in total. That produces just over 100 terawatt hours of hydrogen each year, maybe 120. 75% of that is exported to Europe in that scenario. So in Scotland, we've got 25 gigawatts. Not all of that will be developed. Some of that will be electricity to the grid. So we've maybe in Scotland got one third of our, our total potential. But there's a lot of um, strategic development to be undertaken still. Okay. And I guess one of the burning questions that um, most people will have is, well, how will our supply chain benefit from all of this? I think one of the things that people were, um, politicians and commentators are really concerned about is that the, the first wave of renewables was fixed wind offshore, fixed, yeah, fixed platforms, uh, fixed turbines. And we bought in a lot of technology. We bought in technology from Germany, from Denmark. Is this going to be a repeat of that? Not if we have anything to do with it. Um, there's a huge opportunity there. If you look at today's floating wind technology, it's nowhere near cost-effective enough for us to produce hydrogen to be competitive globally. So we have to reduce the cost of floating wind, number one. Then also reduce the cost of electrolysis. So two immediate opportunities there. So I think that the key thing is for industry and government to get together and, and work in partnership to tackle some of these challenges. Yeah. And where's most of the electrolysis technology coming from? At the moment, there's five or six big players in the world. Um, one in the UK based out of Sheffield, ITM Power. Norway's got NEL. You've got Cummins now in, in Belgium. Um, you've got a couple of sort of niche companies that are starting to grow. But I think like in any growing market, especially when it's growing as fast as the hydrogen sector, there's going to be a lot of disruptive new um, startups springing up. We're sponsoring a couple in our own program, um, Supercritical and Ship, and that those are two that I think could start to disrupt sometime soon. But it's just such an exciting space to play in that there are um, a number of yeah number of existing players, but a lot of of quite exciting startups around as well. So it's going to be a mix of startups and I guess existing companies with um, technology that's already on the market, like the ITMs of this world. I did read somewhere that Germany expects to capture about 20% of the electrolyzer market worldwide. Um, I think they're betting quite heavily on their ability to do that. Yeah, they've got such a strong industrial base. They've got Siemens and Thyssen Krupp already that produce electrolyzer. So absolutely, that's part of their strategy is Let's try and support our supply chain by developing projects where we can export electrolyzer technology. And I think we need to be, um, I think, mature in our approach to the chairman opportunity and, and be willing to accept that because there's loads of other niches we can play in compression and metering and, and pipeline relining. There's more to electrolysis than the electrolyzer itself. Okay. Well, it sounds like a really unbelievably interesting opportunity quite lucrative in the long term, I would imagine, if we get the infrastructure and the supply chain right. And you're in the thick of it, talking to all the right people. So if you had to leave us with one thought about the hydrogen um, question, because it's still a question in some people's minds, what, what, would you, what would you like to leave on the table? That's a good one. I haven't, um, haven't come prepared for this. But to me, it's just that the scale of the opportunity could be absolutely transformational for our economy. Um, if you look at what we currently import as a continent in hydrocarbons, that could be what we export as a, a country to Europe. So um, it, it could basically be a market for 
generations to come. And the, the one thing that, that um, I stood in my mind from the chat I had with Nigel Holmes of the Scottish Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association last week was that the workforce that we need to deliver these projects in 2030 onwards are in primary school today. So we need to inspire that generation. We need to get them interested in STEM technology. And, and that is just such a huge opportunity for me. Okay, well... Good luck with that. <laughs> so, uh, Martin, thanks so much for taking the time to, to come and speak to us. It's been uh, hugely interesting. Hydrogen is obviously a very controversial topic to some people, but it seems like a no-brainer in terms of the opportunity in Europe, and they're certainly betting big on it. So um, I wish you every success in the, the programme, every success in your work. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Transition Talks. You can listen to all podcasts at netzerotc.com forward slash podcasts or you can subscribe to get instant access to all the new episodes before they drop. See you next time.